0: Thank you, worship team. You know, what an incredible privilege to be part of, really, when I think of Cornerstone, I think of a team, and I think of like eight worshipers up here, and we have a team of I don't know how many, but, you know, that these guys are all kind of coordinated is a good thing, right? So we would know how to sing, and the instruments are coming in and out at the right time, and you go like, wow, what what a great example, what a great picture of joy and unity in the Lord, and unity when we use our gifts and serve one another, I don't know if you've ever been part of a team where people really understand their role and they play their position and boy, practicing is fun, the games are fun, you usually are successful on game day because people show up ready to do what they are assigned to do. They know their position, they play it with passion and that makes a difference to the whole team. Well, I've had a couple experiences like that, some I coached. some I was a part of. And man, you, you, you hate to see the season end. You can't wait for the next season to start up again. There's something about the camaraderie and the joy that just kept, keeps building all season long. Maybe you've had that at work. You know, sometimes it's a work project comes together and different people from the organization have to be on a team and they have to respect one another and honor one another, but contribute their gifting and their know-how to accomplish certain goals. And when that goes well, that's very fulfilling. And your boss is like that when you meet your goals and the project gets done on time and so on. But actually, I think it's pretty rare these days. It's rare to have a team that doesn't bicker or fight with one another. It's rare that that can happen in a work setting when a lot of people are doggy dog and, and it's unfortunately rare even in our lives. When we look around, we go like, you know, what team am I part of that's, that's got that kind of overflowing joy? And this morning, I want to talk about The joy of being a servant. Last week we talked about, remember when we uh, introduced our deacon team and we used that as an opportunity to talk about the heart of a servant and those guys surely have the heart of a servant and we join with them and our elders and pastors and other volunteers to grow in our heart of being a servant. And this morning is the joy, the joy of being a servant, how we include others in the great joy that we have in knowing God so that they may see Jesus more clearly. So we're going to talk about that, but one of the, one of the great teams that uh, pulled off a great event, in fact, it's still going on right now, but just not here, is at the women's retreat. Um, these are the ladies, and they're probably just finishing up maybe their session too. You know, and just a team of people put that retreat together, and so many, you know, just threw in their gifts and serving Christ by serving one another, by getting away and going to the ocean, and they saw views like this. Is that Awesome. You know, and it just reminds you, wow, there's so much joy when people are humble around each other and just say, oh, no, you do that well. You know, can you contribute in this area? Can you play your role? And you come alongside and you might help someone else play their role even better. And as they're serving, you're serving them. And incredible joy that spreads when you get to be a part of that. Well, that is a picture of what God has done when he reconciled you to himself that he filled you with his love and his grace and his forgiveness so that you would have overflowing joy. And in experiencing his joy, in walking with him and seeing the way his promises work and give you stability, experiencing his grace or forgiveness or long-suffering, that you're able then to not only celebrate and enjoy it, but to let it kind of come out in relationships and how to really serve from that place of joy. So that's what this morning is about. And just a couple points that we're going to see from the second chapter of Philippians, and then a couple other scriptures. But the first point is this, that Jesus unites us in his joy. And in Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, we read this. So if if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he starts this great passage. I mean, what a famous and familiar passage to a lot of us. This passage that talks about the kenosis or the self-emptying of Christ. But he, he starts, before he even gets into the example of Christ, he talks about... Kind of in a rhetorical way. He asked questions of his readers, of these believers that receive this letter in Philippi. And, and I think we're asked these same questions today. You know, is there any encouragement in Christ? Of course, they're rhetorical. We go, well, sure there is. He, he's come to be an encouragement and a joy to us. Joshua 1 9 is one of the most encouraging verses that I know and need often, and maybe you can relate. Joshua 1 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, you know those words were spoken to Joshua as he's taking the people into the promised land that had enemies. (laughs) There was troubles ahead, but he said, now you're the leader. Be strong and courageous. You don't have to be dismayed. You don't have to freak out because what? I am with you. And that same truth encourages us today, that no matter what we face in life, no matter what's to come, no matter what issues may seem like a curveball or a surprise to you or your family, to your health or at work or in a relationship, in the family, in the world, globally or in our country, whatever those are, we don't have to be frightened or discouraged. We can take our strength that's found in the Lord. We can face those knowing that God faces them with us. That's encouraging, right? And you could pick so many promises from God's Word and say, that encourages me. I just need to like keep that verse right here in front of me all week. I don't need to be afraid. I need to take courage in the strength of the Lord or any comfort from his love. That's where he goes next. And I picked this verse, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction What afflictions are you dealing with right now in your life? Maybe you have a physical issue, a chronic illness. You have the affliction of relationships that are definitely not where God would want them to be, and it's trying your patience, and it's trying all inside, just to give love in those situations. You going, It seems like an affliction, a, a suffering or a trouble. whatever those are, by any definition the god of all comfort the father of mercy says i will comfort you through my holy spirit so there's nothing that you'll face that god won't provide all the comfort you need to not only weather that and make it through that but to come out having learned something of god's character or something about yourself or both which is a huge takeaway from any time you go through affliction that i come out stronger in the lord i come out with more perspective I come out with a truth or a promise that I had to hold on to. And he comforted me in the midst of that. So I'm going to take that lesson and hold it tight as I walk now into the rest of my future, into the next thing that might come. I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to forget what God did. I'm going to remember and remind myself. There's great encouragement in the Lord. There's comfort from his love. There's our participation that happens in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now we know when we came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was given to us to live in us, never to leave us, to actually be a seal that we're God's, and he's going to return for us, a deposit guaranteeing what's to come, our final and complete redemption in Christ. And he lives in us so that when we're feeling the weakness, how many of you are feeling any kind of weakness right now at all in any area of your life? Like, I got one. I got a variety pack right now. I'm, I'm not going to pretend I'm all strong. I got it nailed. I'm, man, I'm whipping it up this week. It's just like, no, we have weaknesses and those move around in our lives to different areas. But that the Holy Spirit lives in us to pray for us when we don't even have the words. That's participation in the Holy Spirit, to know we're saved and then we're helped by the spirit of comfort by the advocate, by the helper, the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Do you have that participation? He's, he's stirring up to remind them. Yes, of course you have that. You have that encouragement. You have that love. You have that Holy Spirit living in you. And then what about affection and sympathy? Do you have any of that? Is any of the love of God being poured out on you? And Rhetorically, the answer is yes. And he reminds me of that. And I picked a couple of verses from Romans and Hebrews, Romans 5.5. 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. When you think of God's love, you know, it, it just, just doesn't come in measurements. Christ gave you everything he could give you when he went to the cross. He didn't hold anything back, and if he wouldn't withhold his own son, we're told, would the Father then hold anything else we need? Of course he won't withhold anything. He gave you all that love up front. What changes in our walk with him is our appreciation of how deep and wide and high and long the love of God is and that you can't get separated from it. That's what changes is you fall more in love with the love of God. (laughs) You see it more clearly. You embrace it more fully. You see it in the provision of that job. You see it in the provision of that sunset. You see it in your spouse and the beauty and the help and the wonderful relationship. You see it in the things God provides. You see it in the power and promises of His word. you just see the love of God, you experience the love of God. It gets poured into your heart so that there's healing from sin and from, from whatever things are going on that, that don't please God. You see new victories, you see rescue, you see deliverance. It's like that love of God just continues to get poured into your heart. And in Hebrews 4:15, we read, "For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses." but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So as this love is poured into our heart from God every day, through all those different avenues, as we understand the Holy Spirit is there to intercede for us and comfort us and strengthen us and guide us and illuminate the Word so we have wisdom for the things we face. To think this, Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect and never make a mistake or fall down. He knows We're weak. We have a sin nature that we struggle against, right? Paul described that, the flesh and the spirit. And sometimes the flesh wins out, and it shouldn't. And we know that, but it's hard. And he gets it. He's sympathetic. He understands. He has a way out. He has a rescue. He has a strengthening. He has a renewal for you. But he understands that you need those things. And he's long-suffering and slow to anger. He's the father of all mercies. He's placed His Spirit in you to pray for you when you don't know how to pray for yourself. All our needs are truly met in Christ, aren't they? And then some. So he's stirring them up. He's stirring these Philippians up. He's bringing to reminder these great truths about their relationship with God personally. They each get this. And then jointly, corporately, the church, all those that were included, Are all experiencing this. So he's saying, as you're caught up in these great blessings and in the joy of Christ, I want you now to be like me and serve others in that joy. I've served you and I continue to serve you by pouring that love into your life and all the things that I do for you as Father and as God and as, as Savior. So let that encourage you and fill you every day. Think about those things deeply. Meditate on those truths. And then let them so overwhelm and overflow that you can't help but just share the joy by serving others. And that's kind of where he goes next. So if you could put those verses back up in Philippians 2. He continues in verse 3 and 4. says, Then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, a mind transformed by his truth, we're told in Romans 12. Have that mind, have your mind continue to be renewed. That's why we're here in part is... To have our minds renewed and to think the great thoughts of God and then to bring our lives to align underneath his commands, right? Our minds are being renewed. Be of the same mind. Be of the same love. The sacrificial, others first kind of love that God gives us. Have that same love, the same mind, the same love, and be in one accord. They drove Hondas. Can you believe that? They were all in one accord. It was a big one, okay? No, not have the same car, have the same agreement that you're going to be about the love of God and the love of others, if I had to put it simply. To be about the gospel, to not think it's about my life and me getting ahead and everything being perfect for me so I'm comfy and happy about my dream. It's about the dream of God, which is described in scripture that came to us through his son, that people could be forgiven and rescued by him and have life overflowing and abundant and eternal getting caught up in that, that kind of agreement, that kind of love, that kind of mind. And he says the way you can do that and protect this joy is by not having selfish ambition. Don't be thinking about how you're going to get ahead and just build your savings and build your this and build your that and get after the dream that you've created, You know, the image of the perfect, comfy, well-taken-care-of, independently-wealthy kind of life. It's amazing how we can even do that subconsciously because it's around those messages around us all the time. It would take a very honest and I think a growing Christian, a maturing Christian to say, yeah, I have those, but I need to challenge those. I, I have those dreams or visions, and yet he's saying don't have selfish ambition. Have your greatest ambition to make much of Jesus. Am I making much of Jesus At my workplace? Or is it all about the bottom line, me getting ahead, me having a certain income? Am I making much of Jesus with my neighbors? Or is it about me protecting my space and having them not hassle me or have their trees grow over my wall? Or Am I making much of Jesus in my neighborhood? Am I making much of Jesus on that team and in that classroom? Is that even a thought that I have? And if if it is, now you're, you're starting to understand. It's like he's filled me so that I overflow and make much of the love and the joy that I'm receiving, I get to serve the needs of other people, not looking at my ambitions, but the goal of Christ, which is his kingdom first. Christ and his kingdom first, making much of Jesus. And then coupled with that to uh, in humility, not to consider other people, or to consider other people more important than yourselves. You know, we get pretty severe when it comes to other people's faults, whether you say it out loud or not. They bother you, you let them know. They bother you, you don't let it know, but you let someone else know. We can be severe on other people's faults and be very gracious and easygoing with our own faults. That should be completely opposite. We should be severe about the things that we know don't please God and be working on those in his strength, that he would change those, that he'd rescue us from that. Be gracious toward the faults of others. Then you're actually considering them more important than yourself. Looking to their needs. Looking to the interests of others. This will make you a very joyful person. It's counterintuitive, though. You think coming into a certain setting, coming into a group, coming into the church, going to your workplace, no, I got to hunker down. It's about me and my agenda. I have to move quickly. I don't have much time for conversations. I've got to. And it could just be about, I have a plan for me today. (laughs) That's usually not joy inspiring. God, what's your plan today? I want to make much of you. I know I need to work really hard and display you in my hard work today to my boss and my workmates. But there's going to be a need of someone around me today, and I could display the joy and the helpfulness and the servan- servanthood of Christ if I actually cared. And I want to care. I-, I need to care. That's what Jesus would do. He would not be just about the bottom line. He would not be about his reputation and popularity. He was the opposite, right? <laughs> he knew he'd get rejected, but he came and he kept to the message of the gospel and his life was on mission all the way to the cross, through the cross and out of the grave, back to the right hand of the father. Do we join him in that? Are we too busy to actually think those kind of deeper thoughts about the kingdom? Are we actually able to consider those around us as more important than ourselves? Here's one way to do that, or a couple questions, is to ask yourself, who's new? When you come on a Sunday morning, who's new? Who do I not know? I don't know if they're new or not, because I don't know them. <laughs> I don't know. How do you answer that question? Be a chicken and go ask someone else about that person. No. I'm kidding. That was a joke. You go talk to that person. You initiate because they're very important, but I don't even know anything about them. I know, but Jesus just told you, consider them more important than yourself. Wow, they're a very important person. They're a VIP. I should go get to know, them, but I don't know anything about them. Yes, but Jesus said they're very important. That's how I should look at them. I'm going to go meet that person. They're new. I'm going to help them come from the periphery into the life of the church or even into just my joy and my love for Jesus. I want them to share in it. And maybe they have a lot of joy in Jesus too, or maybe they don't even know Christ. And you initiate out of the fullness that you have in Christ. Is there someone new? Is there someone hurting? Can you tell? We need to slow down. And look people in the eyes and have time. And then we'll be able to tell if they're hurting and what need they may have. And yes, you can make a difference just by extending your hand and your heart and your ears and a smile. Yes, you can. And you will with the help of the Lord. And I will. And more and more, right? Because we have all we need being poured out into our hearts daily. We're in his word daily, or we should be. We're getting all of this from God. It would actually be painful to try to hold it in. The only times we really don't is when we're not receiving or thinking we're receiving from God. But when we know we are, it's actually more painful to hold it in. You want to show the love of Christ by serving someone's need. So who's new? Who's sad? Who's fearful or anxious? Who's on the periphery? Who has a need I can help with? Now you're really considering other people more important than yourself. You see how that works? Well, I can't serve everybody. Do you ever think that? Oh, what do you you can't it's oh, just just serve the person who's in front of you. It's the only concern you have. You don't know if you'll have more than just today to live. You might you might have 50 more years. This might be your last day and that might be the last person. Don't you want to treat them and serve them like the Lord would if he was living through your body because that's really what it means that the Holy Spirit lives in us that we would walk like Jesus did. It says if you claim to know me you walk as I did. I want to walk like he did. He considered other people more important than themselves. himself. himself So he served their need, whatever it was. I actually can do that, but I might fall behind in this project and getting that thing done for the living room. Yes, but you've pleased God. Now I'm not saying the thing for the living room because you like hospitality isn't going to bless someone down the road. But you get my point, right? Because we always have a list. How long? How long is our list for stuff for ourselves? How long? As long as your arm. But is the list long for, I need to touch that person in Christ's name. That person on the other end of that phone line needs to feel the love of Christ somehow. I need to be more pleasant. I'm in a hurry and I'm kind of snappy right now. That doesn't display Christ. I'm not making much of Jesus right now. But I'm not even going to meet him. That doesn't matter. (laughs) They're a human being on the other end of that line, on the other end of that email. They're at work. They're at your grocery store. So you say, if I'm really going to, be united in Christ's joy. I need to understand how to put other people before myself and consider not just my interests, but their interests as well. In fact, Peter picks up on this theme in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, where it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? Who does he give grace to? Who, have a, who has the secret of the power and grace of God. Who gets that secret? The humble do. You mean the intelligent don't? The successful? The funny? The ones with bigger bank accounts, bigger cars, a svelter body? They're not the ones that get the grace and the help and the strength of God. He reserves it for the humble. We live in pride We are posing the work of God in our life. When we say, Lord, I humble myself before you. I want to be a servant like you were a servant. I want to consider others better than myself. I don't do that enough, but I need to. And would you give me the grace to do it? That is a prayer he will answer with a yes every single time you ask it, every time. And then the power of God is alive in you. You know because you usually don't spread the joy. You usually don't want to serve. You usually don't have time for people. And when you actually do, you know it was the Holy Spirit in you. Experience that, it almost makes you laugh, right? You're like, that's so not me. Yes. That's so just Jesus. Yes. You have to tell people that the actions demonstrate it. But you know it. What if you connected a few of those in a week? Wouldn't that be awesome? What if you just connected a few of those events with a neighbor, the workmate, your daughter-in-law, and then... Joe. What if that actually becomes became something that was a habit? You're forming like new habits in your life to actually consider more others more important than yourself. You're just becoming like Christ. That would be a description of Christian maturity. In Hebrews 12, we read, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus knew his victory over death, sin, and the enemy at the cross would bring us great joy because we would be rescued back into the family of the Father. And in that great joy that he could celebrate with us, and he goes, it was so worth it. It was so worth it for you. It was so worth it for you. It was so worth it for you. Gordy, it was so worth it for you. I did that because I love you that deeply. Doesn't that just make you happy? And I go, like, yeah, that makes me happy. He did it for me. He did it for you. What are you going to do with the happiness? What do you do with the joy? Well, I want to share it. It's that awesome. How do I share it? By considering other people more important than myself and including them in the joy that I have by serving some need in their life. Then we know we've gotten it. And then we have the greatest example, and that's the second point. We have the greatest example in Christ Himself in these next six verses Jesus humbled Himself, and we should follow. Now, this is the kenosis passage that I was hinting at earlier. It's a great passage that talks about the self-emptying. That's what that word kenosis or ekenosin means, is this emptying, and Christ emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, and showed us actually how to do this. So in verse 5 we read, Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves. So what I'm going to describe, what he describes in Christ, he says, have that same kind of mindset that Jesus had, Okay? So the rest of what I'm going to read now so is, okay, so my mind should be like that. My, I should think like that. I should, I should look at life like that. Okay. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not e- count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did not hold on to or grasp his equality with God, although he was. He let go of those rights as God. He left the glories of heaven. And he chose to humble himself and come to this earth. And then he chose to humble himself by taking on human flesh. The God of the universe chose to put himself into flesh and into a baby. He came humbly into flesh. He came humbly as a baby. He came humbly into the manger. We're going to be celebrating the birth of Christ very soon, but he came so humbly into a humble family, into a humble town, into a carpenter's family. And then through his life and ministry, he served people. He looked to their interests. He lifted them up. He looked to their interests, not just his own. Yes, Jesus ate. Yes, Jesus rested. <laughs> he was m- much of the time interrupted, though, by the needs of people. But his heart was to serve and to put other people and their needs first. He emptied himself, and he took on the role of a servant. We talked about that last week a little bit when he washed the disciples' feet. One great example of how he did that. He took up a basin, and he took up a towel, and he got down on his knees, and he washed dirty, filthy disciples' feet. Just another great example. But here it's what he left in heaven, coming into flesh, coming into the family he did, coming to be a servant, humbling himself before people. Could there be a greater humiliation than what I just described? There is no greater humiliation, no greater contrast your mind could ever come up with than the God of the universe who literally made the universe, keeps the universe perfectly timed and running, who made you, created you in his likeness, coming down from heaven, to this earth that was sin stained now because we wrecked it because of our choices, and letting sinful people abuse him and hang him on a cross so that for the joy set before him, he'd include us back into relationship. He went through all that humiliation so that we could have his joy and we could have relationship. So God did something, he highly exalted Christ. From the greatest humiliation to the greatest exaltation, because we're we're told that there is a day coming that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to to the glory of God the Father. The greatest humiliation to the greatest exaltation, and we'll get to join God in his glory, because we understand nailed to a cross, but raised from the dead for us, for anyone that would place their faith in Christ. We're going to get to celebrate, and we can celebrate now. And all these things are reminders is encouragement and comfort and spirit and affection and sympathy and all those mercies from God. We have, now. We have them now, and where there are going to be more to come. Sure, in store. So in that joy, go serve other people. In that unity that we have with Christ, unify other believers around his joy. Understand that that comes by being a servant. Join Jesus in his mission of spreading his joy. And boy, we don't have enough joy in this world, do we? Do you know someone who's full of joy? Are they full? Does it overflow in their face? Does it overflow in their conversations? Does it overflow in their choices? Does it overflow in their patience? Does it overflow? Does it it overflow? Is there an energy of the joy of Christ? That's where God wants to take each one of us. And if you know someone like that, you know, it's just like, yeah, I wish I could. Oh, I wish. You can. And you need to be. And I need to be. So we're going here together. What do you say? We're going to celebrate the joy of Christ like never before because he's worthy of that celebration. We're going to say, Lord, have access to my heart. Pour out your love into my heart more and more. I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to be in fellowship. I'm going to let you overwhelm me so that the joy so fills me and overflows that all of a sudden people see me like that. A servant that goes out in joy, representing Christ. That's what it means to understand the joy of being a servant of Christ. Join Jesus in his joy and in his mission. In fact, his last words to the disciples in Matthew 28 is that all power and authority have been given to me. Jesus is speaking. He says, because my name now, because he went through the cross, right, and was raised up and he was about to be raised back into heaven, because all authority, and his name is above every name, and he was greatly humiliated but greatly exalted because of my name and my power and my authority. You know what I want you to go do? I want you to go make... Disciples, that's it. Go make disciples of my joy and my gospel. Go include people in the great wonder of knowing this God personally. Just overflow, spill out on them, serve them as Christ served you and continues to. Then we know we're getting it. Then we understand the heart of a servant and the joy of a servant. Doing it alongside one another by the power of the Holy Spirit with people that know Christ and people that don't. That's making much of Jesus. I want to ask Jason to come on up and we're um, we're going to sing a worship song that talks about this resurrecting of us and his joy in us that it would overflow. But we're going to have a time right now just to let you pour your heart out to God. He loves when you talk to him. So just pour your heart out to him right now, okay? Just enjoy him. Enjoy him, his delight. And then let him speak to you. And if anything comes up that you feel bad about in your heart and your mind, just confess it to him. That's how it works for me anyway. I'm praying that all of a sudden something like, oh, yeah, that's, that's bad. I just say, forgive me, Lord. Receive his forgiveness. Confess it. So if anything comes up like that, confess that. If you haven't been a person of overflowing joy, say, Lord, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not been my pattern, but I want it to be. And then press into him and just really call out and say, God, please do that in me. Make me a servant like you. Let's pray together. Why don't you start by thanking him for his encouragement, his comfort in love, your participation in the Spirit, and all the affection and sympathy that he gives to you. Thank you, God. Who am I that I should have such a great Savior? Such a loving God, such a gracious, forgiving God. You're worthy, Lord. Just think that one thought, I realize how worthy you are. Of my obedience, my life, my agendas... They should come under the banner of making much of you. Because you continue to pour out your love for me. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of knowing you. Thanks for helping me see what doesn't come natural, that by serving others I'm just being like you, and that will actually fill me with joy and I'll find my life, not lose it. Thanks for all these promises and truths today that remind me that your love is endless. Your grace is endless for me. I have a great future because I'm your child. In this new freedom that I have in you, Help me not to spend it on myself, but to join you, Jesus, in your joy by spreading your love to others. In all areas of my life, can you tell them that? My hobbies, my entertainment, I want to honor you. My workplace, I want it to be about making much of Christ there. My family relationships, For friendships, I want Jesus to be the center. That your joy would increase in my heart. And that your joy would overflow to all that know me.